everybody, and welcome to Project HR, a podcast dedicated to building better workplaces. I'm Jennifer Oroqua, COO of Projections, and your host, and you're listening to the first episode of a new year, which may explain why our thoughts are on the future, specifically on the future of work and by extension, the future of HR. That's why we've invited Jay Coons, Vice President of Business Development with IRI Consultants and a 20-year HR practitioner to join us to talk about the future of work. In addition to his work with IRI, Jay is also the author of the leadership blog, No Excuse HR, and is a familiar voice in the HR podcast world. Jay, thanks so much for joining me today on Project HR. Thanks, Jen. Thrilled to be here. So right off the bat, I think it's important to acknowledge that you don't consider yourself to be a futurist. You've said that on your website, but you do have many thoughts about the future of work. Is that fair to say? It is fair to say. And futurist is a tough, uh, tough label to carry because you almost sound like you're someone who has a crystal ball. And while some people are really skilled at predicting what's going to happen, I've been a little reticent to try to do that. I do, however, have had to live through a lot of major changes, either in my own organizations or watching the world change. The advent of social media as a powerful tool is a great example of something mm -hmm. that's happened over the course of my career and has dramatically changed how the world of work happens. Although not all of my colleagues out there have embraced social media, right. which is a shame. But yeah, so there are absolutely huge forces at work in the future of work. I think one of the things that we'll expand upon today is the impact of remote life and how mm -hmm. it was so taboo in many organizations. And now it's a cornerstone of how we continue to perform. For sure. For sure. Well, obviously in the past year, the the goals in the future, you know, all of that's kind of taken a hit thanks to COVID where nothing seems certain as it might've seemed before the pandemic. Do you think we can even reasonably discuss the future of work in the current climate? I think so. There's the reality of living with COVID. I think early on, I used to say, gosh, post COVID, we'll be able to do A, B, and C. And now it's uh, living with COVID, we're going to be able to do mm -hmm. A, B, and C. But I, I think for us to uh, retreat almost and wait for the storm to pass is really a path fraught with peril. Mm -hmm. I had a conversation with my CEO about midway through 2020, where we openly talked about companies that during times of crisis in the past, have made bold moves while others are very nervous and in a wait and see mode. And the ones that make the bold moves really come out far stronger than they were prior to whatever the crisis was. And at IRI anyway, we've put a huge amount of energy into being one of those companies. And it's turned into a year that was loaded with pressure about being able to stay viable to ending 2020 on an absolute high and lots of energy and momentum because we challenged ourselves to think very creatively and to embrace what the future was going to be, not worry about it. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly with that. I mean, no, knowing that, you know, change is a constant and we've, we just got to um, put ourselves in its path and, and go ahead and deal with those things. So uh, on that same note, you know, how much of the future of work do you think we're seeing now because of the pandemic? You know, did it accelerate the change in our workplaces? I think it did in a couple of areas. One, as I alluded to briefly around remote work, some organizations like mine are 100% remote. So that the whole shift to working from home didn't even phase us because mm -hmm. we were used to doing that. Many other organizations have held on to quite honestly, pretty stale and old mindsets around the only way employees are productive is if they're in a cubicle or in an office and a supervisor's, I guess, staring at them. Mm -hmm. uh, but that just doesn't make any sense. And so the opportunity to have a workforce that doesn't need to commute, 
doesn't need to be stuck in traffic, doesn't need to be schlepping across a giant corporate campus to go from meeting to meeting, but can do that very efficiently and be productive in their own home and see that it can be done that way is really, really powerful. And I think in terms of accelerants, that has pushed how we work years ahead into the future. Mm -hmm. I, I can't imagine we would have been this far ahead. I mean, I never even heard the phrase Zoom fatigue until about <laughs> June. And I thought, okay, get with it, everybody. We, we've only been at this a couple months. We're already complaining about it. Like, come on. I mean, that that's just kind of an excuse to me. But yeah, uh, yeah I think that's an absolute accelerator. And I think the ability to trust employees, quite honestly, by working from home, we can tell if people are doing their jobs or not. You can't mm. hide that. Yeah, yeah. So the paranoia about, I need my people here in the office, it really seems like a immature, brand new rookie leader type of mindset when you consider how well organizations have performed during such a catastrophic time. Let's let's talk about that a little bit. Do you think that these the the adoption of the, you know, digital solutions, the automation, Zoom calls, do you think all this is here to stay even after the pandemic is maybe behind us, which who knows when that will be, but um you think we've made some strides here that'll stick? I certainly hope so, Jen. You know, I think it would be unrealistic to think that we're going to go, quote unquote, back to how things were in the first quarter of 2020 mm -hmm. uh, from a kind of business operations workflow perspective. Obviously, some organizations are based on on-site work, whether you're a large manufacturing facility or sure. perhaps a healthcare organization where you have to do the work at that location. Mm -hmm. But for so many others, and including many of the employees in those spots, they don't need to be there. Mm -hmm. That can be moved around. So I think the change is here to stay. And I think in terms of just quick example of what we're seeing in delivering services to clients and to other companies, we do a lot of that virtually now. And it's been received so well, why would we go back to the old way? For sure. We can avoid travel. We can avoid additional expense. We can save people money. It's a little bit better for the environment if there's mm -hmm. that much less travel. And it helps bring some new thinking in. And that's one of the things that I love. I, I always wanted to challenge myself. All those years as an HR VP, I didn't want to be doing anything that my competitors were doing around me. Mm -hmm. As soon as they copied something that I did, I wanted to stop doing it and, and shift to something new because that brand differentiation is so important. I wanted, literally wanted to be the only one doing some of these things. And that might be a little bit of a lofty goal or, or hopefully not arrogant, but maybe a little bit of an arrogant goal. Mm -hmm. But it, it made a big difference and it was inspiring to the team and we were challenging ourselves to think differently. And I think that's what's come out of, is coming out of this. We've been forced to think differently. We've been forced to deliver value differently. That's kind of exciting. Yes, it's mm -hmm. stressful, but there's an upside to that. And I think it's mm -hmm. it's kind of a, a, a wild ride. But if we're going to be Eeyore <laughs> and complain, woe is me all day, then we're not going to have any breakthrough thinking. Mm -hmm. But if we're pulling together and saying, okay, forget budgets, forget timelines, forget technology, just what would be the best thing to do and back into it that way, that's pretty exciting. And uh, to be able to build new ways of delivering value for customers and employees, we have a whole new strategy of outreach to our employees now that we didn't do before to check in on everybody because we didn't have to worry about that before. Well, now we do because there's so much going on in the world and people's lives. So it's just forced us to operate differently and mm -hmm. think about clients and each other differently. And it's just been really pretty exciting. So some of that excitement, um, you know, can you look at that excitement and say, here's here's where I think this is going to go. I think this is where where people are going to channel their energy. You know, is it is it dependent on industry, what people are thinking? What, what have you seen um, and what kind of actions have people taken around that? 
Yeah, it's a good question. I, I think there is a lot of energy around it. I think it's funny. I'm sounding like we're the, you know, the Nostradamus of 2020 and we are not <laughs> the Nostradamus of 2020. Although it's kind of fun to think you are once in a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but sure. so we are, we are not in that in that boat, but we are unafraid of trying new things. And as we mm-hmm. interact, our business is interacting with other businesses all day. Mm-hmm. We're not direct to a consumer. We're more of a B two B type shop, right? So right, sure. As we're talking to other organizations, it's fascinating seeing their reaction to how they can get value differently. Mm-hmm. And how they can save money because of this different way to deliver value. And they mm-hmm. can do different things that they hadn't thought about doing before. And part of that is us bringing those innovative ideas to them. And part of that is just on their own maturing. And we've all matured very rapidly during 2020, mm-hmm. right? From the middle of yep. March to the end of the year, we've all kind of thought, wow, you know, it's been a long five years in some instances. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so seeing that energy around something new, even if they don't know what that new thing is, just their open-mindedness to things now. Again, Mm -hmm. back to remote work, we would hear, you know, hardly anybody was doing remote work. And I know it was growing in popularity, but now it's massive, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel terrible for anyone in commercial office real estate. Right. Because that's (laughs) an industry that's going to have to reinvent itself now. Yeah, for sure. Right. So, yeah. so do those become trendy lofts and those do, do those become something mm-hmm. different um, yeah. because they're just not going to be utilized to the same degree. Mm-hmm. As I've talked with other small business owners, they say, yeah, I'm, we're never going back to office space again, or we're going to go back to a token office, mm-hmm. you know, that has literally two offices instead of 40. Mm-hmm. Right. Because we don't need to do that anymore. We can invest that money in our employees. We can invest it in new technology, whatever it might be. So seeing this rate of change and seeing the energy around it, although everyone feels a lot of pressure, I don't want to be dismissive of that. It's really quite exciting to be able to connect with them and and hopefully, not always, but hopefully sometimes help them out as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that creative problem solving is exactly what the world needs right now. You know, we're all facing these changes together. So we've got to think it through and come up with creative solutions. All right, Jay, we're going to take a sponsorship break right now. When we come back, we're going to consider how some of the biggest business and HR topics in recent years may shake out in the future. So stay with us. Thanks to this week's Project HR sponsor, LaborWise Leadership. LaborWise Leadership provides your frontline leaders with the knowledge they need to help you avoid third-party interference in your business. With this powerful online course, you'll teach your leaders how to create greater engagement while remaining union-free. Get your free trial at projectionsinc.com laborwise. We're back with Vice President of Business Development at IRI Consultants, Jay Coons. All right, Jay, so one of the biggest issues affecting both business in general and HR in particular is the skills gap. I feel like at first there was a lot of wringing of hands about this topic, but now I feel like people are in the process of coming up with some pretty workable strategies that actually address this problem, which does bode well. Do you see us filling these gaps in the future? Oh, yeah, this is uh, th- this is one of my uh, most favorite topics. I'm super <laughs> passionate uh, sure. about this. Uh, the, the the whole concept of employers telling their story to me is the most significant strategic play they can make. Um, 
yes, there's innovation. Yes, there's high quality service. But for, for many organizations, we've come to expect that. For example, if you injure your knee playing softball on the weekend, you don't say, quick, take me to the highest rated hospital in the area. All you say right. is, take me to the hospital. Right. Because there, there's an assumption of quality. And if Apple or Google or one of the other big giant tech companies announces their newest product, we assume it's probably pretty good, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So the real, the real, you know, hardcore folks will do an analysis of the specs and things like that. But for the average person, oh, there's a cool new product out, right? Mm-hmm. So the, the products and services and the providers, there's an assumption that all that's pretty good, right? But the the X factor is how do you make sure you have the people to execute on that? There is no Mm. innovation without people. There is no care delivered without people, et cetera. And so the ability to differentiate yourself as an employer, again, not what you do, but who you are as an employer is a major, major strategic play. Mm. And I say that not only in my current role, but I say it from someone who lived it as a practitioner. Uh, I, I talked a little bit earlier about I wanted to be different than every one of my competitors. And that was part of my differentiation play as uh, an employer. And I wanted my employees to tell my story. So, so some of your listeners may have heard this concept of employer branding. Mm-hmm. It is a hardcore, serious, strategic play. It's not mm-hmm. just let's throw a couple people on our main corporate website and everyone will know how much we care about our employees. That's just not how that works. It's a right. it's a focused, comprehensive strategy. And for HR leaders who not only have to keep third parties at bay, they need to keep uh, their people that they already have on board, and they need to attract the right talent. I never worried about having job applications. Different parties would try to say to me, oh, we can help you crank up your job applications. I don't need any more job applications. I had thousands upon thousands. Mm-hmm. I needed the right people applying. Sure. And yeah. the way that I got the right people to apply is in the way we help our clients is that we have them tell their story. And you mm-hmm. tell your story through the eyes of your employees, not through some press release that says we're awesome, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, you can't interview me as the VP of HR of my organization, expect me to say anything except we're awesome. Come be here. Right? <laughs> right. That, that's, uh-huh. that's pretty transparent. So yep. for all the organizations yep. out there, that have their VP of HR as their champion, uh, yes. that's too short of a bench. Mm-hmm. You need a much deeper bench with your frontline people. And that has proven to be a fabulous strategy. And sadly, there are very, very few employers who adopt this mantra of telling their story. Sure, they mm-hmm. tell their story if there's third-party party noise, they tell their story if they're in boiling hot water, they tell their story if they're in a crisis, they don't do it proactively to get ahead of the curve. And mm-hmm. that's what makes the difference. And as the world is spinning around, tell your story how you took care of your employees during COVID. Mm-hmm. As the world is crazy, talk about the great career opportunities you have. Tell, have your people share their story of, you know, the infamous started in the mailroom and now I'm a manager somewhere. Mm-hmm. Those are real stories. Mm-hmm. Sure. I have a bunch of them from over the years. So yeah. th- this whole concept of, Talent and not only attracting, but retaining your talent and dedicating digital properties to it, social media channels to it, 
an aggressive content strategy to it. it it's just a game changer. I've seen it over and over again. Um, and, and no one's ever dissatisfied when they execute on a strategy like that. Yes, it's comprehensive. Uh, but quite honestly, it's often funded by simply redirecting budgeted dollars that are oftentimes just being wasted because we do the same thing year after year after year. Mm-hmm, for sure. Well, and it's interesting because I think there um, there are a lot of companies that don't actually know their story. Um, but I think the future definitely belongs to companies that can communicate that story in a way that resonates with prospective employees. Um, but even, you know, vendors and, um, you know, people that they work with, I think that the, that storytelling is is vital to the the future. Okay, Jay, so let's shift a little bit here. Much has been made of the the generational differences that are occurring as the, the baby boomers phase out, millennials and, and Gen Z move into the leadership positions. How do you see this generational shift impacting workplaces? It's a question I've gotten a bunch of times, Jen, and I'll just disclose my bias on this right out of the gate. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think that any of the newer quote unquote generations have anything to do with the evolution of the world of work. I think since the first two people had a child and put them to work, there have been more than one generation in the workforce. Right. This is not new. And I think that by and large, and I'm going to paint with a bit of a broad brush here, but by and large, uh, people want to have a job that has some sort of meaning, that they mm-hmm. feel like they're either adding some sort of value or they have some self-worth by doing what they're doing in their job. And they want to be able to have some sort of life outside of work. I'm not mm-hmm. talking about work ethic here. I, I don't think there's been a big drop in work ethic. I think people have multiple priorities, but I, I rarely run into a situation where people just don't want to work anymore. I think that's a lot of uh, hype and it's just mm-hmm. not played out. Uh, so I think that the, the generations in the workforce, if anything, have probably brought a greater degree of corporate social responsibility to the forefront than maybe it mm-hmm. ever has been in the past. Mm-hmm. And this year that's been highlighted, uh, you, you know, on, on, by a factor of a thousand. Uh, but even before the tragic events of this year, you had a workforce that said, okay, well, what are you, what are you doing in the community to make a difference beyond right. generating mm-hmm. revenue for the firm or for the company? And so I think those are good things because I, I, to me, it's a more well-rounded worldview and we all live in the world. We don't, although sometimes we put an awful lot of hours into our jobs, as you know, and your listeners mm-hmm. know, that's not the only thing that is going on in our lives. And right. so uh, I, I think that level of impact is significant. And quite honestly, a lot of the millennials are all in, as you said, management jobs now. Mm-hmm. Many of them, you know, we were kind of aging through. Yep. So, so part of the unique, the unique nature of the world of work is that the the young folks coming into the workforce have grown up one hundred percent with the internet, one hundred percent with all of the information of the whole world in their phone twenty four seven. They they yep. don't understand. Like if I ever said card catalog, I just really dated myself. <laughs> so I'm now mortified. <laughs> right. So, uh-huh. but if I said that phrase to any of them. Right. Like, is that a, where you keep business cards, Mr. Coons? <laughs> you know, like they wouldn't even know what I was talking about. Right. right? For sure. So it's, yep. so it's just, I think that whole, literally having all the information in the whole world, your whole life, you never had to look up anything, just grab your phone. Right. I think that's yep. a different way to think about working mm-hmm. and getting things done. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so that perhaps is an opportunity to bring some of that, what I'll call design thinking into our workflow versus, well, this is how we do it. Well, why? Why yep. do we do it that way? Yeah. Um, so yeah. I think that's a big shift. Um, and it's an exciting one. I, I like being challenged. If I stop learning, that's, you know, that's a pretty boring rest of my life if I don't, For sure. if I don't learn yeah. anything new. Yeah. And what you said is so true about, um, you know, being able to have all the information at your fingertips. I think one of the best definitions I ever heard actually came from um, one of my son's teachers. He said, in the future, you're not going to have to know everything. You just have to know where to find it. So that's that's resonated for me for years that, you know, you you don't actually Mm -hmm. have to have the knowledge. You just have to know how to find it. So I think that that's that's Mm -hmm. a definite shift for the future. Um, So let's talk a little bit about the gig economy. You know, in recent years, we've we've talked about this and um, using it um, for in terms of a scalable workforce. Do you think that's simply new and novel or do you think this this gig economy idea is something that's here to stay? Well, I'm inclined to say it's here to stay because I think as organizations go through a period of recovery, if we just take 2020 as an example, you know, lots of layoffs, lots of people out of work, and then organizations are trying to figure out how do we do what we do more efficiently without having to lay off our workforce. Mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. One of the things that I think is is often missed when we talk about layoffs is how devastating it is to those organizations to have to go through that. Mm-hmm. There's often this kind of cold and different perception or persona placed on employers when they have to go through that. And it's horrifying mm-hmm. uh, to, yep. to have to lay people off. They're, yep, they're part sure. of your team and then they're not. So mm-hmm. so I, I think that, but, but what comes out of that is how can we employ people based on what our needs are versus loading up the overhead? Mm-hmm. And so, for example, if I need uh, if if I'm going to launch a new project and I need graphic design support, I don't need to hire a graphic designer. Right. I can hire one freelance. Right. Which it depending. I mean, we can really get into the weeds on this, but I, at a high level, I don't incur the expense of the FTE, and they don't incur the burden of right. a nine to five. Right. So there is a nice trade-off. There are um, there's benefits and pay and all sorts of issues that have to get sorted out, of course. But um, yeah, I think I think it's a wonderful way to get work done. It also challenges some of the mainstay core. What I used to say, I'm using air quotes now, cost of doing business departments, mm-hmm. like a full blown IT, full blown HR, full blown marketing. Like you can go down the list. Do all of those roles need to be in house, or is there a different way to do that? Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. just by the mere fact of asking the question and challenging yourself, mm-hmm. yes, there's going to be political landmines and some organizations to even raise that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think the responsible employer is going to look at those things because they are trying to survive. Yeah, yeah. And you you touched just a second ago on on corporate responsibility in a in another episode of Project HR. We interviewed um, Susan McPherson, who talked about the fact that today corporate responsibility isn't just something that's nice to have, but it's actually a business imperative. Do you think it's fair to say that this issue will become more of a given as we move into the future? I think so. It's so burning hot as an issue now. Mm-hmm. I I don't know that it just. What, what do we go back to? Right. right. Like, I, right. I don't know what the reset yep. button even does. I, I think it's just a, a go forward type of situation. And um, I, quite honestly, if we're going to talk about linking that corporate responsibility to talent attraction, 
if I have a robust people strategy and I'm highlighting the diversity of my workforce and prioritizing diversity in my workforce and I'm proclaiming it aggressively, mm-hmm. who's going to attract the talent? Me right. or the person who doesn't want to talk about sensitive topics? Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to be me. Right. And I'm sure. going to get the best of the best. And so that is, a, I think it's a, a real strategic play. And, and I don't mean to have that sound like some sort of cold business decision. No, no. Um, yeah, I know the, the beauty of good business decisions is that they impact people in a positive way most of the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, so, and a similar topic I wanted to, to touch on here in the same kind of vein, um, you know, is really the employees search for for meaning in their work. We had an article on our, our blog a little while back um, on meaningful work, you know, the employees searching for fulfillment in their their own work. So do you think that that's something that companies need to pay attention to in the future, that search for meaningful work for their their actual employees? Yeah, I, I, I'm a, a big believer in that. I'm a Quint Studer fan. And he, he one of his core tenants is around meaningful work for mm-hmm. all employees, regardless of their role in the organization. And the responsibility for that is how the employer defines it. Um, if you are made to feel that you are part of the larger enterprise and your role, along with the perhaps hundreds of other roles in the company, mm-hmm. are vital, you already are going to have a leg up in believing that you are doing meaningful work. Mm-hmm. Um, versus it's just routine. This is an entry level job. We've got high turnover. Uh, you know, woe is me. I'm going to accept it. Well, why are we accepting it? I don't think we should accept any of that. Um, mm-hmm. And if there's a problem, let's aggressively go after it versus run and hide and make excuses that, well, you know how those departments are. That, that's just, it's a stepping stone. Why? Not everyone is going to continue to grow in their career. Some people are going to have entry-level or near-entry-level jobs, and that might be all that they can handle, and that's okay. But that doesn't mean the job needs to be miserable. We need to try to figure out a way to support them and encourage them and bring them along uh, and have them feel valued. So I I think that um, finding that meaningful work is, is a huge topic. I mean, for those of us that are... Uh, a bit grayer on top. Thank God I still have some hair <laughs> on top, but a little bit grayer on top. We're, we're sometimes able to make decisions about where we work because the work is going to be meaningful and challenging and, and difficult <laughs> and exhilarating and all those things. Not everyone has that privilege. Mm-hmm. And so for those that don't have the privilege, the effective leadership team is going to embrace that and mm-hmm. support those employees and stay connected. So I think it's an, a topic that sometimes gets put in the bucket of, oh, those are soft things, mm-hmm. soft skills. And whenever I've been challenged with that over the years, I, I would say, have you ever worked for somebody who's a real, um, I'll just say SOB. How about that? <laughs> uh, and everyone nods their head, yes. And then I say, well, do you think that that person was using a lot of soft skills? And they'd say, you know, they start laughing, say, no, I would never want to work for them again. Right. Because soft skills are difficult. Mm -hmm. These people are are harsh and nasty and you can still be very warm and engaging and have an incredibly high degree of accountability in the organization. Mm -hmm. They are not separate things. They're not separate things. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. All right, Jay, we're going to take out some time for another quick break and we'll be right back after this. 
You're listening to the Project HR Podcast. I'm your host, Jennifer Oroqua, and our guest today is the Vice President of Business Development at IRI Consultants, Jay Coons. We're back. Um, Coming back to HR specifically, I've read that people analytics are a key enabler of the future of work. Would you agree with that assessment? And if so, why? People analytics are huge, just like any other part of an organization. We measure everything, right? One of the reasons finance departments have so much respect is because they have all the numbers, Mm -hmm. right? And we have come to not only trust the numbers, number one, they are presented the same way every single month. Mm -hmm. Finance doesn't come up with a new report each month. They don't come up with a new graph each month. They don't come up with a new trend line each month. We have come to know and respect what's coming out of our finance departments so that we can keep track of what's happening through that lens. Why would we not want to have that same level of rigor around our people and what that means? Mm -hmm. I I think people get skittish around people. I don't know if they think it's feelings or they're going to have to open up and share some tragic story when they were young. I, I have no idea why it doesn't get the, the traction that it deserves. But mm-hmm. you know, the top level metrics like how many vacancies do we have and what's the turnover in Department X, that's not cutting it. That's not cutting it. Taking a deep, deep dive into some engagement survey data where you're literally at the predictive analytics end of this continuum Mm -hmm. where you can say, you know, this shift in this department is going to have X amount of turnover because this is what's happening there. Mm -hmm. And we can tell because of the deep analysis that is actually bringing value from an HR leader perspective, because I don't think that's a quality function. I don't think that's ops. I think that's an opportunity for HR again, not a burden. I think that's Mm -hmm. an opportunity for HR to bring that level of reporting and insight to the conversation at the executive table so that decisions can be made to either provide some support to that department. Oftentimes, we or we're ready to blame the managers for everything. Many times, the managers are working incredibly hard. There are sure. other issues at play that are blocking that manager from having the type of results that they want. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that that level of sophisticated work is... Uh, incredibly important. And for those shops that do it well, Mm -hmm. their executive HR uh, leadership teams are highly regarded and leaned upon heavily. For Mm -hmm. those shops that, you know, I guess as a longtime HR guy, I've heard these jokes, you know, it's HR math, turnover, HR math. Well, if it's going to be a joke, then you haven't done the work to earn the credibility. I, I don't think that's something that you just say, gosh, I'm in, I'm in this role, so you need to respect me when I send this report out. There needs to be a level of discipline, just like our finance colleagues have Mm -hmm. developed over the years. And that's when there really starts to be an impact. Yeah. And I, and I love what you said about, you know, the predictive analytics is really where that needs to go, that that's, that's the future of it, being able to, to look at the data and, and actually say, here's, what, here's what's going to happen. Here's the direction we need to move in. So, I mean, obviously the future of work is a huge topic. We've only kind of scratched the surface here. Are there other issues related to the future of work or the future of HR that you would like to address here? Oh, gosh, that's, you know, that's dangerous saying, Jay, this is an open question. Take it anywhere you want. Take it where Um, you want to go. We have a five-hour podcast today, Jay, so go for it. No, I am really focused on seeing in my own HR practice and, and working with clients over the last six years, seeing all the good work that they do and they don't share it. 
Mm-hmm. They don't share it enough internally. They absolutely don't share it externally. And then they wonder why they're in a tight spot all of a sudden. And it's because they've let someone else tell their story. Mm-hmm. Sure. And if there is a level of commitment and focus around telling your own story, both to your existing employees and the outside world that is executed on effectively and most importantly, consistently, it's a game changer. Mm-hmm. And I think whether it's a 100,000 employee organization or a 15 employee organization, you have to tell your story. Mm-hmm. Because someone else will, a disgruntled employee will, a third party will, right. Uh, right. a reporter will. It's it's just you have to be diligent in, in making sure that happens because too many of us are working far too hard to not make sure that story gets out. So I would really implore folks to, to consider how can they tell their story. Think bigger. I have a little mantra that I say to myself, I can never think big enough. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. One of our, our core values at Projections is be a bigger fish in a bigger pond. So every time Love it's it. just... Thinking bigger. So yeah. so tell me, how, how do you think that we can, you know, as companies and even as individuals, prepare for this future of work? I don't think it's so much that the company needs to do the work here. I think it's a very small group of senior leaders that need to have some hard conversations. Okay. Because let's be honest, for as much as we talk about an empowered workforce, at least in the States, we actually don't have much of an empowered workforce. The senior leadership of most organizations decides policy, approval, vacation policy, pay, major purchasing decisions, conflict resolution. All of the major decisions are made by a small group of senior leaders. And that's the group that needs to decide that they're either comfortable in the status quo Mm -hmm. or that they are going to challenge themselves to think very differently. I'll give you a very quick story. This summer, this links back to one of my opening remarks. My CEO and I were having a conversation about kind of breakthrough moves that we could Mm -hmm. make during the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And we decided to really take that to heart and went through a very intensive and new version of strategic planning for us. And we thought, way outside the box of of what we thought could happen, what might happen, crazy ideas, and invested a significant amount of time to go through that planning process. And we had three or four major items that we thought maybe might could play out. Let's troubleshoot for these scenarios. And all of them have played out. And so all of that work that we put in is now being operationalized, but it wouldn't have happened if we didn't have that conversation as a leadership team. Mm Mm-hmm to say we need to think differently about what's going on. The world is changing, and we don't even realize the magnitude of it yet. But we know it's different now, and it's not going back, at least not all the way back. Mm -hmm. And so I, I think it's really about some brave leaders who raise the questions about upsetting the status quo and upsetting the apple cart a little bit Mm -hmm. uh, to get their organizations thinking. Because once you have the leadership team on board, the organization will follow. Sure. That's where I really think that the hard work of future work is going to happen at yeah. that leadership yeah. level. Yeah. So so IRI helps organizations navigate workplace challenges. Is preparing for the future of work one of those challenges that, that you address? Uh, we do a lot of that. Yeah. We, we put a huge amount of energy into helping organizations be better, whether it's uh, helping leaders communicate more effectively. That's a gigantic part of what we do whether it's helping them navigate some third-party pressure, whether it's doing executive coaching or delivering in person or virtually through a very interactive synchronous delivery platform of our leadership programs. 
it's all about making the organization better so that that organization can thrive and mm-hmm. not have any interference and not have any setbacks. Mm-hmm. We're doing a lot of work with helping to tell the story so they can attract the right people as well. Back to your mm-hmm. talent comments earlier. Yeah. Because uh, all of this coalesces together. They're not separate pages of a book. Right. It's just one page. And there's a lot of bullet points on that page. And all this stuff fits together. And so we try very, very hard and have for 40 years mm-hmm. uh, to help organizations um, do the right thing and yeah. be better. Yeah, it's fantastic. So, so how can our listeners find out more about you, about IRI, and the help you can offer? Well, I'm on all the socials, um, on Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn. LinkedIn's probably the standard play, Jay Coons. And iriconsultants.com is our website, and that gives kind of the full breadth of things that we do. Okay, great. And I want to let our listeners know that a link to Jay's website, as well as to the IRI website, will be included in this episode's companion guide. So be sure to sign up for it today at projectionsinc.com slash podcast. Right now, though, Jay, it is time for our lightning round questions. And these are questions we ask of every guest of the podcast. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. So our first question is a topic showdown. In this episode, we've been talking about the future. Which of these long-promised future inventions are you personally looking forward to the most? Flying cars or time machines? Flying cars, for sure. I'm a big race fan. <laughs> All right. Great. And uh, what's the best book you've read recently? The best book I've read recently is not a newer book, but it's one I've read most recently, and that was Onward by the former CEO of Starbucks. Okay. Um, what is your favorite thing about working as a consultant with IRI? I would say two things, and I think it applies to really a consulting life after 20 years of very traditional corporate life, is the massive flexibility of a consulting <laughs> life. Um, that's not... Uh, that comes with flexibility in both directions, by the way. <laughs> mm-hmm, sure. Uh, but but uh, yeah, so there's a lot of flexibility with the consulting life. And for IRI, I was actually an IRI client twice in my career mm-hmm. and have been very close to the company for almost 20 years. And they, okay. uh, this will sound like a shameless plug, but it's true. They came through for me multiple times as an HR executive. And mm-hmm. it was... Um, great to be able to join the team when it was time to switch out of that traditional corporate. Yeah. All right. So what's the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Uh, Take a bigger risk. (laughs) Absolutely. I like that one. Yeah. Take a bigger risk. Yeah. All right. And finally, who or what inspires you? Uh, So I have uh, a couple of of folks that inspire me. I'm going to go with people. Um, Okay. And my parents were unbelievably influential in a positive way in my life. So they were both professional people and I'm heavily inspired by them. And I'm also a gigantic Dietrich Bonhoeffer fan. And so he is a massive source of inspiration for me as well. Okay. Very good. Well, Jay, I want to thank you for joining me today on this week's episode of Project HR. Thanks, Jen. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Sure. For our listeners, the Project HR team does the hard work for you. So we've listened back to this episode and taken notes for you. You can grab that companion for Jay's episode at projectionsinc.com slash podcast. If you'd like to be on Project HR or you know someone who would, feel free to email us at projecthr at projectionsinc.com. And last, but certainly not least, to make sure you never miss an episode of Project HR, I hope you'll subscribe to our podcast. Drop us a line, leave us a review, or simply rate us five stars wherever you get your content. That's it from me for now. Let's make it a great day at work.